Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jans Deep Podcast Record Club, where each week one of us assigns a record for the rest of us to review, and then we review it. And this week, uh, sort of in tandem with our uh, record club last week, uh, we are going to do a bit of a hearkening back to grunge. We've talked a lot about uh, grunge records in the past in our 1991 retrospective primarily, but we've also talked a lot about bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And now we're going to be talking about one of the lesser known acts from that particular scene. But now I think uh, as beloved as some of those records, we're talking about Sweet Oblivion by the band Screaming Trees. Screaming Trees, of course, the brainchild of one Mr. Mark Lanigan as well, who, of course, tragically passed away earlier this year. And the day that that happened, I knew we had to do a video on one of his records. And the thing about Lanigan is that he's so prolific. He's had his fingers in so many proverbial musical pies that it can be difficult with an artist like Mark to even know where to begin, really, in terms of understanding who he was as a force in rock music, basically. You know, not only do you have, of course, the Screaming Trees records, he has a number of really, really successful solo albums as well. And of course, his work with bands like Queens of the Stone Age as well. Our very last record club was on 2002's songs for the deaf which turned 20 you know last month and now we're talking about sweet oblivion and this was this was kind of the obvious pick to me because this is also turned uh it's celebrated an anniversary very recently this turned 30 uh last month as well around the same time as the queens of the stone age album i think as well so it kind of felt fitting because this i mean to me this is one of my favorite grunge albums it's my favorite screaming trees record and a lot of people prefer albums like dust or even like uncle anesthesia maybe even if you've got a bit of a hot take on that but to me this is the one i connect with the most is the one i've always loved the most and one of the other reasons why it felt appropriate to celebrate it turning 30 was that you know longtime subscribers of the channel may remember when we did last year a 1991 retrospective one of the biggest projects we've ever undertaken where we celebrated the 30th anniversary of a whole bunch of albums that came out in 1991 which was a flagship year for grunge right like it was a defining year you know for all of the bands that we associate with that critical era of grunge music and the Screaming Trees, I think, have always kind of lived in the shadow a little bit. I mean, when you listen to them, when you listen to this record as well, you can hear, you know, you can hear sounds that, you know, you can, Lanigan's vocal performance can be at points reminiscent of Cobain, of Lane Staley. I mean, the band themselves can evoke, you know, other more recognized and celebrated grunge classic artists. And maybe to some extent, Screaming Trees don't, get a little bit forgotten because they don't have as much of a distinct i guess sound or personality compared to some of those other bands but i don't to me that's almost kind of i understand that and i understand why that may have had an influence on you know the comparatively least esteemed reputation this band has uh but i mean to me it, it very much misses the point of what is so satisfying about screaming trees which is that they are phenomenally talented grunge band they're phenomenally powerful band i mean this album as well has their one of their biggest singles ever on it nearly lost you as well which was on the single soundtrack which just did incredibly well in its time too and i think benefited 
uh, as well from the fact that this record did come a year after the grunge wave really kicked into gear with you know the release of 10 and bad motorfinger and of course nevermind as well you know this was the, the public were primed for a band like Screaming Trees who had been around for a while up to this point. Like, let's not forget that. The Screaming Trees had been around since the mid-80s and they'd been putting out records really, really consistently. And they had been evolving their sound as well. I mean, a lot of ways, what they are, they are kind of one of the earliest grunge bands, really. They're one of the earliest and first bands to kind of pioneer the sound that we associate with this particular era. But they've also got like this sort of slightly more psychedelic, slightly noisier and also slightly more alt-rocky edge as well that kind of puts them more in line with bands like the Afghan Wigs as well, who I associate a lot with Screaming Trees. I mean, their records, I think, sound fairly similar. Though the Afghan Wigs, I think, take a little bit more from blues influence and things like that. Uh, Screaming Trees are almost like the, you know, the more kind of overtly emotive and sort of hard on sleeve side of that sort of thing like Lanigan as a lyricist is not particularly elaborate nor is he particularly um poetic here I mean I think even in his solo work he would kind of blossom a little bit more as a lyricist but still I think this is like you know one of the thoughts I had listening to this yesterday and thinking about the connection between uh you know blues and grunge and that sort of thing is that grunge is kind of like it's the missing link between blues and emo, I think, to a certain extent. And it's like the some bands, I think, lean further into one side of that than the other. I think most of the bands that we associate with being kind of grunge staples do lean more and towards the kind of bluesy, rootsy side of things. But some bands just lean more into the side of making as much noise as possible and really kind of creating these swirling maelstroms of guitar, essentially. And that's Screaming Trees to me. They've always kind of been distinct in that real, like, again, alt-rockier sense in which they've leant more towards uh, the noisier, more chaotic side of things. Like almost, I would say like, I don't want to say progressive. It's a word that I we always kind of keep coming back to, but they always felt like they were interested in different things musically. Like there's some kind of, there's almost a primitiveness to some of those kind of classic grunge bands. Whereas I think Screaming Trees are much more about making elaborate noise essentially and kind of taking punk to its logical extremes in a lot of ways. I mean, Screaming Trees get grouped in a lot together with Mud Honey as well. And like, while I understand that connection too, they're definitely coming out of a lot and, and acting as kind of precursors to a lot of this uh, with this kind of like, you know, really sort of distorted, longing, kind of just fuzzed out punk sound essentially, where it takes the, you know, uh, spikiness of punk and just kind of like gives it the sort of drunken haze which makes Sweet Oblivion a great album to get drunk to, which I totally didn't do yesterday. Uh, and it, when you, when you are, I will say when you are like three or four you, beers. You did though. I have, I have receipts. When you are like three or four beers deep and you listen to Sweet Beach. Oblivion, it just, it sounds different. Like, and you start to like real feel it a little bit more differently as well. And so much of it, I think is in just the haze of this record. Like, I guess one of the complaints you could, level at it is that you know there's not a lot of distinct individual songs on this record it's more like a single kind of piece where all the songs are kind of of a similar tone but they're all just so excellent and they all kind of 
perfect the atmospheric sensibility that the screaming trees are kind of all about so well and i think they're all elevated from being you know anonymous songs by the presence of Lanigan as well who as a performer is so powerful on this record i think while also being kind of a little bit understated at certain points as well i just love the sound of his voice i think he, he's such a like even at this relatively early stage of his career he sounds like he has you know he's he's lived a lot and that he's he's made a lot of music and that he has really honed and refined his craft as a performer i don't know like i i just i i really love the presence that he brings to this record and i really love the raw emotion that he brings to it in a way that is like you know it is genuinely affecting but also it's like so filtered through you know layers of just booze soaked depression that it could be mistaken for like jadedness or something a little bit more passive but i think there's real pain in this and i think in that sense maybe the best comparison is alice in chains because they're a kind of similar band in a certain sense in that you know and some of their more you know, intense and louder album work. You could mistake Staley's, you know, very moody depression for like drugged out, hazy lack of awareness or whatever. But no, there's actually a real emotional undercurrent to it. Anyway, I'd love to hear what you two think of this and and um, what you think of Lanigan and Screaming Trees in general and, and what you think of this record in comparison to some of its grunge compatriots from this era. Well, all my cards on the table. I loved, loved this. And I completely agree with you in the sense that like it really does kind of ride out a very consistent vibe and there's not too much variation within it. The issue with that issue, however, is the fact that the everything about it is so consistently excellent and well-maintained, and it just doesn't ever get old or, or boring. It's also just a very well-paced and well-structured album, like as an album experience. You know, it's 46 minutes long, and it's got 11 tracks here. I feel like for the 90s, you know, an, an era that was wrought with, cd bloat in both rock and hip-hop uh this is an album that doesn't suffer from that at all a lot of the songs here are really concise and sort of write out the things that make them individually unique uh really really well and not to mention it starts off with what i would consider to be one of the best grunge songs of the 90s which is shadow of the season Honestly, the comparison point I would give for Shadow of the Season is that the beginning of this is that Screaming Trees kind of have like a neo-psychedelic edge to their sound that adds a sort of depth and atmosphere to everything on here. And like the almost tribal way that the drums are played and like save for just like a little bit of the guitar tone here. Honestly, this sounds a little bit like Tool to me. Like this isn't far away from something you would hear on like Anima or even uh, like a, you know, like a more brief cut on Lateralis. And, but, you know, it's used in a more propulsive way. And man, everybody in this band is so in sync. I think one of the most underrated aspects of the album, at least from what I can tell, is honestly the bass playing. Um, and this is going to sound real fucking wacky, but like that sort of progressive aspect that you alluded to is that I do think that there is actually a progressive basis that this made me think of multiple times. And that's Colin Edwin. 
there are a lot of bass licks on this album where I was just like, boy, this groove is so distinctly proggy and jazzy, but also it has that kind of really kind of emphatic, insistent, grungy darkness to it that I feel like is really inherent to, I mean, like a band like Porcupine Tree that I do think stole a lot of their aesthetic from grunge. Um, but everything here is just, it's so classic feeling. This sort of feels like the combination, the meeting center point of every other grunge band. I mean, there are points on here where Mark sounds a whole lot like Eddie Vedder, like on uh, one of my other favorite songs on here, Troubled Times, which has one of the best fucking hooks on this album. Or on Nearly Lost You, where I just think, again, that's the band operating in with a level of synchronicity that I think is just supremely undervalued and I think is as impressive and as like dynamic and and emblematic of their place within music as any of the you know the grunge staples that we've uh, uh talked about and alluded to there's moments where he does kind of lean into the sort of earthiness of Alice in Chains I mean like the fucking the final segment of Troubled Times where he like really kind of slows down and every like that just sounds like pure jar of flies and that's sort of like the appeal of Sweet Oblivion to me as an album experience is that you kind of get the entirety of grunge as a movement in one album that manages to not feel disparate. Because, I mean, we kind of mentioned this, is that grunge is sort of an ill-fitting genre label in that there's so much variation even just between the big four of grunge is like there's so much about these bands that is different and yeah. distinct from one another but all of them are still found here but in a way that doesn't feel sloppy it understands like i would say that this album maybe more than any other grunge release save for the one i'm comparing it to has the most in common and shares the most common DNA with that of blues rock. And I feel like has the most in common with something like Temple of the Dog. Oh, uh, yeah. it, it is less maybe like, it's a little bit more driven by its atmosphere and less forward by like the, like that is a guitar album. Uh, as much as this is just like, this feels a little bit more holistic to me, but both of them feel and understand that blues rock is the sort of nascent idea that all of these bands sort of took from. And I don't know, I just, I find the the blend of all of it to be so compelling and consistent. Like, again, this is an album that does not drop the ball for a single fucking second. Like, yeah, the, my two biggest, like my, with the exception of uh, Troubled Times, which I do think is great. Uh, I, I do think that the best point on the album is definitely Shadow of the Season into Nearly Lost You. But after that, it's still fucking great the whole time through in a way that I think like few rock bands are able to crank out a record as consistent, as tight as something like Sweet Oblivion. Yeah, I'm pretty much exactly in line on this. Screaming Trees were so foundational to what grunge was and would become that I think that's sort of where this melting pot feeling comes from, that it, it's just like the origins of the genre itself. And really the big four, you know, what the genre is known for are variations on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a classic record. Uh, there's not really any misses here. 
the the obvious shouts shadow of the season nearly lost you i want to say i love dollar bill it's not one of my favorites on the album but i really admire how much it's just a fucking country song um yeah like no reservations and that that's something that i feel influences the entire album really uh that sort of southern rock approach to uh songwriting i feel is all over the record it's just like a this massive melting pot of even outside of grunge it's just melting pot of hard rock and blues and southern rock and Mm. i mean it's psychedelic records as well and that's where a lot of what makes this band in particular even within the context of this genre and the seattle scene really special and there's not really a better showcase for that than sweet oblivion i don't think yeah i mean this was at the point as well where mark had already released his first solo album the winding sheet in 1990 as well so you had a little bit of the you know the more sort of bluesier uh folksier uh even country or i guess sides of things that are already filtering through into the music he was making and this was kind of like perfect fucking voice for it too yeah and this was kind of like the the stuff he was doing with screaming trees once he started his solo stuff like it was kind of like the perfect counterpoint to that i mean especially when you think about this record going into uh whiskey for the holy ghost which is his second studio album that came out in 1994 as well like this to me was like you know where he was kind of at the peak of like he had one outfit to really kind of exercise his songwriting muscles but also another outfit to kind of really make as much noise as possible and i think between them you get like a real full sense of who mark was as an artist as well um but like i also think that you know for as much as the musicianship really does take center stage on this album sweet oblivion I do think, I mean, Mark is a genuinely emotive and powerful presence here. I mean, I think Nearly Lost You is a classic for a reason. I mean, that song is, like, oh, it's yeah. it's catchy, it's memorable, but it's kind of fucking heartbreaking. And um, some of the other moments as well, like, towards the later half of this record, I think the, the real deep cut standout being the penultimate track, No One Knows, which I think is the most impressive song here from a musical standpoint. Like, just the, the soloing and the general kind of intense, dense mix as well the record really reaches a kind of apotheosis here i think that Barry Lee connor does some fucking insane shit with the guitar on this album unbelievable like i i actually am really fond of that final run of three songs troubled times no one knows and julie, julie paradise. paradise as well i think the, the record really kind of like it it ends in this really kind of just bold place with those songs where i think that the musicianship and the technicality is kind of like ramped up more so than it has been the through the um the mid the start of the record's really kind of in your face and explosive the midsection is a little bit more sort of uh, moodier and then you get those final like uh after winter song which is kind of the last sort of more of the more moodier cuts and you get into troubled times and those last three you really get uh, just the record kind of really exerting a power you know as as a listening experience that i think you're kind of not quite prepared for i don't know it's a difficult record to really like talk about beyond that i think it's just such a so much of what the joy is of this record is just how it fills up your fucking brain while you're listening to it like there's just never a second of this album where you're not hearing a distorted guitar and like the whole time it's like it's just 
a perfect numbing agent as well to kind of like silence or just overwhelm any shit that's happening in your brain like it's that's the great appeal of screaming trees i think is how fully committed they were to just making the noise um and you know i think i know a lot of people prefer dust and i mean i i only barely prefer this to dust i mean they're basically i I gotta check that out dust is like it's like yeah it's 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 even more the the bad motor finger and super unknown dilemma yeah no exactly i i think yeah it's difficult like i know that lenigan's death really colors the way that i you know interrogate any of these records now in the same way that you know um lane staley's death really colors the way that and chris cornell's death as well really colors the way that you view any of their records but yeah i just i i I found this to be a really emotional experience this week in a way that I don't think I had experienced Flanagan's work before, like, you know, when he was alive. So I, I feel like for that reason, maybe a lot of other people might potentially be underestimating the power that this record holds and that the general, the music that Mark made in general with Screaming Trees and outside of it held. Uh, I think for that reason, like his catalog needs to be, you know, reassessed and reevaluated and just given a bit more of a shot, I think, from audiences in general as well. I think everyone who listens to Screaming Trees, you know, who, who's already equipped to enjoy this kind of music is going to get a lot out of it. But it just they're a band that don't appear to have ever really had the the reach of some of their contemporaries even bands like afghan wigs as well which aren't a very cool band now but still i think had a bit more of a cultural uh footprint than this and it's it's just it's it's a real shame as well like people don't really remember uh these records all that well and certainly not the people who are involved in making them i think that one of the reasons that i i kind of agree in that i found it pretty emotional myself in that I think it's just because, and I think there's a reason you compared it to uh, Cornell and Staley in particular is because, well, they were all men who they passed a good while after they were making the most vital music of their career. And I think that recontextualization sort of comes from the fact that like the, the a lot of their music is anguished and you can only really appreciate in retrospect just how long of a battle these men fought with their particular demons. And once you sort of realize how long that went on for, you see it crystallized in moments, not in like, you know, it's not like you have, like Kurt Cobain is in in this comparison, I feel, because it very much feels like, you know, you, you, you have the in in utero feels like it is very much inextricably tied to his inevitable uh, collapse and deterioration as a as a person, and these are really more emblematic of moments over like a really really long sort of progression of you know mainly what I think is like the the overriding theme with all of them is sort of uh, addiction and powerlessness and just sort of having to succumb to that I mean that's what a lot of what shadow of the season is about I mean like the main character of the song is basically you know beckoning outward for you know for 
God to sort of make him feel something, but instead, you know, you, you cope with everything by feeling nothing. You embrace the sweet oblivion as mm -hmm. the, the album title is mentioned here. So it feels like only in retrospect, are you able to sort of appreciate just how much, you know, pain can be inside something like this because it's not immediately evident you know th this isn't one of the darkest sounding uh grunge albums immediately this isn't like something like pearl jams 10 where you're just immediately sort of enamored with how kind of like horrifying it can occasionally be this is more of something that just sort of you know it's a a mood and an atmosphere that occasionally takes stabs at something way more poignant and potent uh like I, I think of maybe something like the end of uh julie paradise where he you know mentions this uh the person he's talking to is their father died and a lonely broken man and you just sort of have these like glimpses into the, these windows of moments of trials and pains and tribulations that feel very just feel very earnest and raw and powerful and that just sort of embodies what i think grunge as a whole was about mm. yeah the other band i thought of a lot while listening to this uh they they kind of have a bit more of a distinct sound but i guess in terms of the tragedy that surrounds them and also being i guess i think slightly overlooked among their contemporaries was blind melon blind melon um, yeah, yeah and, and, and you know like and shannon hoon is a performer and of course the tragedy of that story too I thought a lot about them too while listening to this. And I think that, you know, that these are two bands that kind of represent the same sort of example of how like, you know, grunge was so saturated at a certain point that so many great bands just kind of fell a little bit under the radar. And maybe they had one or two songs, you know, like Blind Melon had No Rain and this band had Nearly Lost You, where those songs really crossed yeah. over. But the albums never really seemed to do well, uh, all that well commercially. And, and it was a real... You know, and so now I think they're they're right for rediscovery and um and they really hold up, I think, as a result of the lack of expectation and reputation placed on them. You can just enjoy them a little bit more as pure musical experiences, which I think is the best yeah. way to enjoy them anyway. All right. Okay. Well, favorite tracks uh, and ratings then for Sweet Oblivion. Jake, why don't you go first? Uh, three favorite tracks here got to be Shadow of the Season, Nearly Lost You, and uh, No One Knows. Not No One Knows, Troubled Times, although No One Knows is great. And I do also want to shout out Julie Paradise for just, God, that has a banger of a fucking ending. Those guitar licks at the end are just mwah, beautiful shit. Uh, and I give the album an 8.5. Uh, honestly, I, I think this is like it's not is it's not quite as high as something like uh 10 or uh the two Soundgarden albums but i would rank this over a pretty solid majority of a lot of the canon grunge uh classics so take that for what it's worth hmm. morgan your favorite tracks in writing uh i think my favorite track here is more or less which I think oh, that's a great song. Is, Ooh, good choice. I love the underrated one, but uh, I think really like if somebody was going to ask me what grunge sounds like, I think I might play them that song first. It just feels so indicative of the core of the genre and the kinds of music that went into uh, making grunge what it was. But uh, yeah, uh, nearly lost you in Shadow of the Season. Pretty undeniable. Least favorite? 
Uh, there's nothing bad on here, but uh, for celebrations past is a little, you know, something's got to come and last, and that's probably it. And I will also give this an eight and a half out of ten. All right, my three favorite tracks are Shadow of the Season, Nearly Lost You, and No One Knows. Uh, least favorite, if I had to pick one, would probably be uh, The Secret Kind, maybe. Uh, and I give the album an 8 out of 10, which gives us an average overall of 8.3 for Screaming Trees, Sweet Oblivion. Let us know at home what you think of this album, what the Screaming Trees and Mark Lanigan's music means to you. We want to hear from you in the comments below, particularly if you do have tributes for one of the great artists of his of his era basically if you enjoyed this episode please consider giving it a like and subscribing to the channel as well both of those things really help us out if you want to go above and beyond and support us even further you can hit the join button for just one dollar a month you can become a member of the jams and tea family support us directly get your name and the title of every video on this channel plus if you want to recommend us some music to listen to and talk about on the show your recommendation will go to the top of the pile as always, though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Corona, log off, lime in.